we're talking about forgiveness. It's a great topic. I love the topic of forgiveness. And we're taking a text that is, I believe, one of the most profound passages of Scripture. We often think of when we get to heaven, who do we want to meet? I want to meet two people first. I want to meet my Savior, and I want to meet the thief on the cross. He reminds me every time we read his story or tell his story that we can all be forgiven, that grace is extended to everyone. Amen? God's grace is beyond anything that we can comprehend. Listen as I read his story again, and more importantly, Jesus' story on the cross in Luke chapter 23, beginning with verses 33. It says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified Jesus and the criminals, one on the right and the other one on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, Hey, he saved others. Let him save himself. If this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, You are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was even an inscription above him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at Jesus, saying, Are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other one answered, rebuking him, and said, Do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we're suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly today, you shall be with me in paradise. It's an amazing story of forgiveness. That guy knew nothing. Knew nothing. He didn't know the Old Testament. He wasn't a theology teacher. And chances are, if he came into church, he wouldn't know where to sit. He didn't know how to give money. He didn't know how to volunteer his time. He'd been a criminal his whole life. And yet he recognized Jesus. And no matter what he had done, he was forgiven. Because the ultimate message of the cross is grace and forgiveness that's offered to everyone. And that's what I want us to think about and talk about this morning. A number of years ago, I was visiting a friend of mine. I actually was good friends with this guy's father, and I had known him when I lived in Lincoln, Rhode Island, because his dad was active in a Baptist church, and he had sold our church choir robes, and I'd gotten to know this guy during that time. And now his son was a principal in a high school. And he was in this area, and I had moved to Plymouth, and so I decided one day to stop over and talk to him and talk to him about his dad and just kind of get to know him. And I made sure I went when school was out. So school was over, and I was standing there in the office as you'd walked in the way the building was. There was a main office, and we were standing inside. And as we were talking, nobody was around. A guy came walking in and goes, I can't believe what happened. And my friend said, I'm really sorry, your son was walking up the staircase. He took a kid. He shoved him against the wall. It was totally unprovoked. Everybody else saw it. The kid got hurt, had to get taken to the hospital. We called the police, and your son has been suspended. Then he went on and he said, 
Everybody who was there told the same story, and even your son admitted everything he did wrong. To which the father turned to the principal and said, that's it, I'm done with this school. My son just keeps getting in trouble here, and walked out. To which my friend said, want my job? I choose to call it sin. That's what the Bible says. People do wrong. Kids sin. Guess what, parents? Your kids sin. They do wrong. Guess what? We sin. We do wrong. The answer is not denial. The answer is not blaming the school. The answer is not blaming everyone else. The answer is learning about grace and forgiveness. The best sermons are always on forgiveness. And they always end the same way. And you say, yeah, I know how they end. They end when the pastor says amen. No, they end when the service is over and somebody walks up to me and says, I have a question, and I always know what the question is. Do I need to forgive and forget? Now, originally, when I wrote this sermon, I, I answered it this way, yes. But I changed it. Do I need to forgive and forget? I need to forgive and let go. I need to forgive and what? You got it. I need to forgive and let go. Jesus is on the cross. Think of how humiliating that experience is for him. Not only is he losing his life, but they're out in front of him gambling for his clothes. And then don't miss where they crucify him. They crucify him intentionally between two common criminals to let him know, hey, buddy, we want you to be in the midst of a group of people that we really despise and look down on. And then the Bible tells us that those who are even the religious leaders start to mock him. What's Jesus' response? Verse 34, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He doesn't just utter those words. He literally commands those words. He doesn't say, Father, I suggest you forgive them, or, or, you know, Father, this really isn't that bad of a day. The sun is pretty nice today, and these guys here really aren't that bad, and, you know, this isn't quite as horrible of an experience as I thought. So why don't we forget about the whole thing? Jesus doesn't say anything like that. Instead, he utters words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. You see, when we forgive, we finally let go of expectations. Expectations are those things we have on ourselves when we think that we have to be perfect. Or expectations are those things that we have on other people somehow thinking that they have to live up to our standards. This morning, as I was getting ready for our first service, I turned on my radio in my office and up came a song by Matthew West. The song is called Truth Be Told. I was so moved by the words that I printed it out to read it in this message. It starts like this, line number one. You're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, you just smile and say, never better. Line number two, everybody else's life is perfect except yours, so keep the messes and your wounds and your secrets safe behind closed doors. The truth is rarely told. I say, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, but I'm broken. 
And when it's out of control, I say it's under control, but it's not, and you know it. I don't know why it's so hard to admit it when being honest is the only way to fix it. There's no failure, no fall. There's no sin you don't already know. God knows the truth. Forgiveness lets go of those expectations, those expectations that I'm just going to be perfect, and I'm somehow going to project perfection to everyone else, and they're all going to love me, or that everybody else is somehow going to be perfect and live up to my expectations. Jesus didn't have expectations. He forgave, period. Hear the difference? He didn't have expectations on the crowd. He didn't have expectations on the criminals. He didn't have expectations on the Jewish leaders. He forgave. He accepted life on life's terms. The word forgive is the Greek word aphemi. It's used usually in connection with forgiving a debt. Now, how many of us who have ever owed a debt wouldn't like to have that financial debt forgiven? Well, it's the same thing with forgiveness. Forgiveness lets go of expectations and quit acting like there's no debt, and it forgives the debt. That's why Jesus told the parable of the two guys. The first guy goes in, and he has a huge debt, millions of dollars, billions of dollars he owes. And he stands before the person who owes his debt, he owes his debt to, and he says, I cannot possibly figure out how to pay this debt. And the man looks at him and says, I forgive it. Forgive it? It's forgiven. You can go out and you don't have to ever owe me another penny. You can go on with your life and you can live your life. The guy's feeling great at this point. He walks out and he barely gets away from the guy he owed so much money to when he encounters a friend. And the friend comes up to him and says, yeah, I know I owe you $10, but I don't have the money. And the guy who just had this huge debt forgiven turns to him and says, Nope, I'm throwing you in debtor's prison. Come take the guy away. And Jesus says, that's what life is like when we try to consider what sin is. We have been forgiven by God. Amen? We have been forgiven by God. 100% wiped clean. Past is gone. We have the new chance every single day. It's the same word, this word of forgive, that we use each week when we say the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' friends wanted to know how to pray, and so Jesus taught them how to pray, and they said the scariest line in the Bible, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, forgive us our things we do wrong. How? As we forgive those who sin against us. Ouch. Forgive us the way we've learned to forgive others. It's interesting when Jesus utters this in verse 34. I know you didn't come for an English lesson, but I'm going to give it to you anyhow. The word appears in the aorist term, which means it's a command. He doesn't just suggest that these people are forgiven. He commands that everybody there who's done anything wrong is forgiven. Father, forgive them. Blanket. I find that interesting. Not... Anybody who was there present that day is held guilty for anything that they did that day. Jesus forgave them. That's okay. They had a lot of other things that they did wrong in their life, just like all of us do. 
You see, forgiveness is coming to terms with the fact that we can finally let go of our expectations and quit trying to think that we somehow have to be perfect, or even worse, others have to be perfect to live up to our expectations. And then when somebody does something wrong, rather than naming it as wrong and accepting it as wrong, we kind of sweep it under the carpet because we want to be nice and we don't want to claim that somebody else has done something wrong, and a whole bunch of problems start arising in our life which is why I like to say that expectations are resentments waiting to happen. Because when we expect other people to be different than people are, or to live different than people are going to live, or to be sinless when people are not going to be sinless, they're going to let us down every time. Amen? Every single time. Because there's not a person in your life who's sinless and perfect. And if you're waiting for them to get their lives together so that they can please you and make you happy and live perfectly, that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we need to learn to accept wrong. We need to accept sin. We need to be able to name the things that are wrong, which is why forgiveness is honest about sin. It's honest about sin. We're honest before God. We stand before God and we say, I get it, God. I have done wrong. I have messed up. I don't really want everybody else to know all of my business, but Lord, you know it. Forgive me, and thank you for forgiving me. The word is harmatia. It is an archery term, and it's a word we use for sin. It means miss the mark. It's unpopular in our world because people don't like to talk about being sinners. Oh, you're telling me people are sinners? Yes. You're telling me children are sinners? Yes. You're telling me you're a sinner. Yes, we're all sinners. We all do wrong. Let's be honest about it, because if all we can do is sweep everything under the carpet and act like people act ways that they don't act, or we act ways that we don't act, it only causes bigger problems in our world. That's not the solution to the sin problem. The solution to the sin problem is forgiveness. Because once we can accept the truth, then we can start realizing that there's grace and there's forgiveness. We're doing the Max Licato study, He Chose the Nails, in a lot of our small groups. And Max Licato, in his chapter on forgiveness, tells an interesting story about buying a new house and moving into the new house. And I'm sure anybody who's moved into a new house is all excited. This is great. I've never had the chance to move in on day one. But you can imagine the excitement. Brand new house has been built. A person gets to move in. And he says, the builder, who's a great builder, awesome builder, gives me a sheet of paper and says, here, write down everything wrong in the house. Max Licato says, I didn't want to write anything wrong in the house. I was moving into my beautiful new house. Everything was going to be perfect in the house. And lo and behold, I get in, and there's a problem with a faucet. And then there's a problem with a door. And there's all these little things. And I start writing them down, and then I start feeling bad about it. I don't want to tell the guy who built my house all the things that are wrong with the house. But he told me to tell him all the things that are wrong in the house. And he says, that's what sin is like. We're not perfect. We're living in the house. We know it. Now, the difference is the builder made some mistakes, and there are, or as whatever, and there's problems with the house. With God, God didn't make mistakes. But God gives us a sheet of paper. Write down the sins. Be honest about it. Accept the fact that you and I aren't perfect. Because once we can be honest about sin, we finally have an opportunity to experience forgiveness. Jesus was very clear about the stuff that was wrong that day. He couldn't have missed it. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm hanging between two thieves and they're 
they're dividing my garments in front of me, and they're making fun of me, <laughs> and they're giving me, like, vinegar to drink when I'm thirsty. And then it keeps getting worse. Verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who hung there started hurling insults of abuse at him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. It becomes pretty obvious that people are doing some things wrong. Amen? But that's the same in life. Our kids do things wrong. Our friends do things wrong. Our neighbors do things wrong. Our spouses do things wrong. If you don't believe it, ask Regina. Forgiveness is honest about sin. And the very guy who's insulting Jesus and spewing these words at him uses the word save. Hey, save us if you are such a good guy. It's fascinating because even in that word, as he's saying that, he's thinking about physical salvation, but it's the same word that we use for spiritual salvation. And he's absolutely right. Jesus is the only one who can save him. Now, he's not going to get him off the cross that day, but if you can recognize Christ and ask for forgiveness, grace is being showered all over the place, which is what the, amen, hallelujah, which is what the other guy is able to see. So even in his insult, this man is somehow bearing witness to the truth. It was a number of years ago, I was a pastor in a different church, and I had what I would still say is probably the worst thing that a member of my church ever did. He was a doctor in Boston, and he was in the military, and he made the front page of the Boston Globe, and not for a good reason. And in the process of working with him, I was honest to try to work for restoration and forgiveness and some healing in his life. And he literally just got mad at me and started screaming at me and wanted nothing to do with me. And then what he did is he sent a letter to my bishop that I will never forget. He writes a bishop. It was fascinating. Last week, before the bishop was retiring and a new bishop was coming in, and this letter went out, got copied to me, and had these words in it. Pastor Stan used judgment on me. I called my bishop on the phone, and I said, so, did you see the letter? And she said, yes. She said, do you even want me to respond? I said, yeah, I'd love for you to respond. I said, why don't you say back that you talked to me, and Pastor Stan agreed he did use judgment. He used good judgment. It's good judgment to be honest about the problems that people have. It's good judgment to be truthful when a wrong has been done. We don't have to sweep everything under the carpet and think that we're going to be nice and people are going to like us. We need to tell the truth. And we need to know in telling the truth that forgiveness is honest about sin, but it leads to forgiveness. It's not that we're honest about sin so we can hold it over everybody or we can wallow in it the rest of our life and say, I just feel so bad about something I did 20 years ago. That's not the point. Once we're able to be honest about sin, now we can start experiencing grace and understand that, remember, forgiveness does what? Let go. We forgive and what? I didn't hear that. We forgive and? Amen. Because we're honest. Because we're truthful. 
because we don't deny that a hurt has been done or a pain has been done. We had a discussion in one of our Bible studies about the Old Testament this last week, and one of the guys said, you know, I haven't spent much time reading the, Bi- the Old Testament, and we all said the Old Testament's awesome because it tells the truth about people. You get to see people's foibles over and over and over again. But here's the key. Forgiveness in the end is not you being good. It's not me being good. You have a friend and they forgive you. You go, what a nice person. They forgave me. Or you go to your pastor and you've done something wrong and the pastor says, you're forgiven. And you go, what a nice pastor. No, forgiveness is not based on us being good people. Forgiveness is not based on us being nice people. Forgiveness is based on God. Hear that? It's a divine act. It's the Holy Spirit working in our lives so that we can extend forgiveness and let things go. It's God divinely offering forgiveness to us so that on the cross everything is taken so we can move forward in life. It's not that you're a good person because you've forgiven someone and you swept something under the carpet. There's words for that. Forgiveness is not. We usually call that codependence. Forgiveness is not ignoring a wrong that someone else has done only to let it be done again. We call that stupidity. Forgiveness is a divine act that begins by letting go of expectations and thinking people have to be perfect and is honest about the wrongs that are done and then is based on the heart of Jesus. Jesus, the guy said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 43, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Those are amazing words. That guy, he didn't know anything about the Bible. He didn't know theology. He didn't understand what God was doing in this world. He wasn't out doing great things and helping people. He simply recognized Jesus and his need for forgiveness. Jesus not only forgave him, he promised him heaven. We think we need to forgive. We don't need to forgive. We need to let God work forgiveness into our lives so we can forgive other people. Do you have problems with somebody who you haven't been able to forgive? Pray for them. I still have problems with them. Pray for them more. Do you still have trouble forgiving them? Pray for them more. Heavenly Father, help me forgive them. Help my heart be changed. Help me let it go. Help me just move on. It doesn't mean the other person is going to be changed. Remember? Jesus forgave that guy. He forgave everybody that day. Large number of those people who he forgave didn't change. My forgiving someone else does not guarantee a result in their life. It's a divine act so that we can move on in our lives, so that we can experience what God wants for us as we know that we no longer have to hold on to things that we're holding on to that just tear us down. Have you ever heard of Blanche Frazier? How about Bonnie and Clyde? How many Bonnie and Clyde people have we ever heard? Who else has ever heard of Bonnie and Clyde? Put your hands up. Come on. Everybody's heard of Bonnie and Clyde. Well, Blanche Frazier was a young woman who was originally Blanche Barrows. Now, you might start putting it together. 
Clyde, Bonnie and Clyde, Clyde's last name was Barrows. His brother, his older brother, was named Buck Barrows. Blanche was married to Buck. So she was the sister-in-law to Clyde Barrows of famous Bonnie and Clyde. And unfortunately, she was also part of the Bonnie and Clyde gang. Now, Bonnie and Clyde's story ended in tragedy on May 23rd, 1932. That's the day that Bonnie and Clyde died in a shootout in Gibsland, Louisiana. Her husband, Buck, ended up also dying. Blanche went to prison. And Blanche spent six years in prison. Later, she gets out of prison, and she's still a young woman. Bonnie and Clyde were kids. She was 28, 29 years old when she got out of prison. She was only born in 1911. She only died in 1988. It's contemporary with an awful lot of us. Well, she gets out of prison, and she meets a man, and she falls in love. His name is Eddie Frazier. They got married. She was honest with him about her past. In fact, she was honest with everybody about her past. They say she kept a scrapbook of her past, so if anybody didn't believe it, because she became such a different person, people are like, you couldn't really be associated with Bonnie and Clyde, and so she would open up the pictures and say, nope, here's my past. You can look at it yourself. And everybody who became a good friend of her, she said she always shared that story with, because she was honest about who she had been. But she also became a Christian. She gave her life to Christ. She and her husband eventually moved to Dallas, Texas. She's my favorite Sunday school teacher. She became a Sunday school teacher. Imagine if your kids come home and say, Mom, I was bored in Sunday school today. What are you talking about bored? Your teacher was with Bonnie and Clyde. How can you be bored in Sunday school? That's forgiveness. That's grace. But you know, she did something with every kid who went through her Sunday school class. When the year was over, she gave them all a Bible. Do you know why she gave them a Bible? Because back when she was with Bonnie and Clyde, she was tormented. And she broke into a church and she stole a Bible. And she was looking for a little bit of peace in her life, so she took a Bible that she could read. And she made a determination. She didn't want any kid who ever went through her Sunday school class to have to steal a Bible. So she made sure she gave every one of them a Bible. Do you think people's lives can be changed by forgiveness? Do you think people's lives can be changed by forgiveness? Do you think people's lives can be changed by forgiveness? Amen. They can. The stories abound of how God's grace is beyond anything. But it doesn't come when we become 21st century Americans and we hide everything and we pretend that we aren't hurt and we're pretending that we're somebody that we're not and we pretend that somebody else didn't hurt us and we think if I really am honest about my feelings, I'm not a nice person and I want to be nice and we don't need to be nice. We need to be truthful. We need to be able to speak the truth and love to ourselves and to others so that we can start moving on in this journey we have as Christians. And that's why this morning and the week ahead, we're talking about Jesus. And he chose to forgive. What a savior we serve. What an incredible guy to get to know. I invite you during Lent to get to know him better. What's it mean that he forgave you? What's it mean that he forgave that thief on the cross? What's it mean that he forgave everybody that day for all the things that they were doing wrong? And what does it mean for me that I can stop thinking that I have to be a good person 
who forgives other people, and I can start realizing that God wants to work through his Holy Spirit to change me from the inside out so that I can start extending grace and forgiveness to others. I invite you to get to know Jesus better. We don't have a cross for you to nail stuff to, but we do have, sitting up here, our nice heart that's going to be here all week. You can use it this morning or any time during the week, but when the service is over, there'll be space up here, and we have little pieces of paper, and we have pens, and then you can put the pen into the use pen slot. We have little pieces of sackcloth to remind us of the importance of repentance. And I invite you to think about forgiveness this week. Maybe you just need to be forgiven yourself and just write on it, I need forgiveness. Or maybe there's someone else, and you don't want to put their name, you can just put someone else. But I invite you, as we journey through Lent, to get to know Jesus better. And to do things like recognize that I can nail it to the cross. I can give it to Jesus. I can give my hurts, my pains, all of the things that other people have done wrong, and I can be done with it. Because remember, and I end with this, forgiveness doesn't forgive and forget. Forgiveness forgives and let go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to let go. Help us to be honest about the things that are wrong. Help us to be truthful in our own lives about who we are and quit acting or thinking that we need to be somebody that we aren't, that somehow you won't love us or forgive us when we know in reality the truth is that you will. Help us to learn to extend forgiveness to others. Help us look in our own lives at where is it that that block has been? And if I've become a person who's become more forgiving, help that continue to grow in my life. Help us to extend that grace even more. We thank you for the thief on the cross. And we know that one day we will be in heaven and we will rejoice around the throne with him and we can ask, what was it like to go through a life and think you had no meaning to just simply know that it was all wiped clean? We thank you for grace and we thank you for forgiveness. And we pray that as we journey with Jesus to get to know him better, not to become religious, not to become better church members or anything like that, but to get to know Jesus better, we pray that it would transform our lives. You love us more than we can imagine, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.